We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. 27. If you have a Bible, I, I would encourage you to open up there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand or maybe go to the back and they'll give you one. I think it's so important to be able to follow along in our studies. I wonder if uh, if you guys have ever like eaten anything that's gone bad. Like, have you ever taken a bite out of a sandwich and you're chewing it and after maybe your third bite, you notice it tastes kind of funny? And then you're like, oh man, what's this green stuff on my bread or... Or maybe, you know, you had some milk and you took a drink and uh, you spit it out because it tasted... Have you guys ever done anything like that? So I'm not the only one? Okay. I mean, just the other day I was uh, grubbing on some yogurt. And uh, I like yogurt. I forgot to check the expiration date. I started eating it. And I was like, oh, my, there's something wrong with this, you know. And uh, what had happened was that it had gone, it had gone bad. And you know what? Uh, second law of thermodynamics, I'm not a scientist, a law of entropy. There's this, this, uh, there's this general rule that things go bad. You know, I mean, even if you have good refrigeration, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you can put uh, things in your refrigerator, and if it's a good refrigerator, maybe it's kicking in at 40 degrees Fahrenheit. It's a great refrigerator, but even in that, food will go bad. Certain bacteria, as a matter of fact, I read... You can have this, it starts off with just maybe 10,000 uh, elements of bacteria. In four days, it will turn into 10 billion elements of bacteria. That's in the refrigerator. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is things go bad. That's the world that we live in because we live in a fallen world. And you want to know something else? People have an inclination to go bad too. You know, they, they have, we have an inclination, unfortunately, you know, to start well, and, and maybe we reach a peak, but then we end up kind of waning, waning off and, and sometimes even, even going off. That's the world that we live in. You know, for some of you here, you've been a Christian for a long time, and, and you're losing your fire. You're, you're not spending time with the Lord. It's not sweet. You're not in the Word. You're not serving you're losing the fire. The enemy is after you. And, you know, like I said, we live in this body. We live in this world. There is that inclination to kind of just go. And before you know it, man, you're an old person. And you're just putting it in cruise control when God wanted to change the world through your life. And the cool thing about being a Christian is that it doesn't have to be that way. And I've seen it in my pastor that you can continue to walk with the Lord and the fire and the passion can grow stronger as you walk with the Lord. You can grow stronger as you walk with the Lord, but it's got to be the Lord. And, and as we go through our study today, we're going to see some things that kind of stood out. Uh, we're going to do something different today. We're only going to do nine verses. And so you're probably thinking, hey, we get to get out early. That's what you're thinking, right? no. We'll see. <laughs> but um, we're going to kind of get into the original language. Because you guys know what language the Old Testament was written in? Does anybody know? It was written in, in Hebrew, small, minute portions of Aramaic. But um, 
mainly Hebrew. It wasn't written in English. And it wasn't the New King James Version, believe it or not. And so we'll look at some original language. We'll look at some word definitions. And I think that God can use it in our life so that we won't grow rotten and corrupt like so many people end up doing in their life. Look what we read here in verse 1. We start with this guy, Jotham. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Although he did not enter the temple of the Lord, but still the people acted corruptly. So here's a guy, he's 25 years old. That's kind of young, huh? Don't you guys think? I think it's kind of young. He only reigned 16 years. That's not a long time, especially when you consider the fact that more than likely uh, his father Uzziah was still alive. So he was co-regent with him for a while. Because remember at the end of Uzziah's life, his father's life, that he got leprosy. And so he was a leper. And so this guy, Jotham, uh, is reigning simultaneously. And then when Uzziah finally dies, he reigns for a, a little longer. It's not really a long reign. But Jotham, you guys know what his name means? His name means Jehovah is perfect. Jehovah is perfect. And, and later on, I'm going to ask you guys that question again and see if you guys remember. Um, but it's kind of cool when you look at his life. He mentions his mother right here, 25 years old. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. Now, as you go through the different kings, it's kind of cool. Not, it doesn't always mention the mom. Sometimes it does. Once in a while it does. When it's significant. You know, sometimes it'll just talk about the city that she's from or it won't mention anything else. Or sometimes it doesn't even mention the mom. This time it does. It mentions uh, Jerusha. Her, her dad was Zadok. More than likely, he was a priest. More than likely. We're not 100% sure, but more than likely he was. But the testimony we have about Jotham is so cool there in verse 2 that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done. And so that's a good testimony, right? And he, and he ends it right there, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. And so you're like, well, what's that all about? Well, if you don't know what that's all about, that means you weren't here last week. And if you weren't here last week, you're in trouble, unless you have an excused absence. No, I'm just joking. Um, last week, we went over the fact that at the end of his life, you guys, and I'll just try to tell you real quick, the real quick version, Uzziah was a great king. He was a great king. He was one of the best. But towards the end of this life, he got all proudful, and the Bible says that he was uh, strong, and God marvelously helped him until he became strong. And then what he did was, he, he was a king, and he says, well, I want to go into the temple. I want to offer incense on the altar, something that only the priests were allowed to do. And at the end of the day, let me just put it this way, he thought too highly of himself. And he went in there to do something that only the priest should do. And what ended up happening was the priest said, hey, you better leave. And he's like, who are you talking to me like that? I'm the king. 
And you know what happened? Because he got so mad that he got leprosy. And here was a man who had lived such a great life for the Lord. But at the end of his life, he, he blew it. And he ended up living in an isolated house, not even able to go into the temple. Because he had blown it with the Lord. And, and there are some people that do that. You know, pride is the root of all sin. You know, you can fall into some sin. And, you know, what ends up happening is God says, okay, put you on the shelf. I can't use you anymore. Because you're too full of yourself. It was a warning for us, right? So what I'm trying to say is that it's cool to read about Jotham, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did just like his dad did, except that he didn't get prideful. And let me just make a, a side note about this that's really cool here, is as we're going through the kings, we're learning from the things they did good, and we're also learning from the things they did bad. And so as you're going through the kings, I think it's very important that we have this in our heart. I want to learn, Lord, I want to learn. I don't want to learn the hard way. I want to learn the easy way by reading your Bible. I want to learn by even sometimes seeing the, the examples of others. Do you know anybody in your life that maybe they're a good example? They love the Lord. They're walking with the Lord and they're not perfect, but man, they're proper. You know, learn from them. Do you know anybody in your life who's blown it? You know, you see some guys, and man, I think of many pastors that were used by the Lord in such a great way, but they fell into sin, and the devil got a hold of them, and they ruined their life. We need to learn from them. So we learn from the good examples, we learn from the, the bad examples. That was who Jotham was. He did, just like his dad did, all the things that his dad did good. But he didn't do the things that his dad did bad. There are probably some of you here like that, huh? You have the example of your dad. Some of you here, it's kind of cool. You have the same work ethic as your dad. He was a hard worker. You're a hard worker. You know, certain things that he did that, that were really cool. But maybe he was a drinker. You're not a drinker. You know, maybe you see the way that he, he treated his wife and it was an awesome, you know, your mom, it was an awesome example because the best thing you can do for your kids is treat your wife right, right? But maybe there were other things in his life, you know, that, that, that weren't, that's how we got to learn. You know, we got to take it to the Lord. I know with me and my dad, you know, there are certain things about him that were commendable and there are certain things about him because he didn't know Jesus that I, I told myself, I will never be that way. And so here's Jotham, and this is the example that, that he had. Uh, Spurgeon said this, He regarded his father's sin rather as a beacon to warn him away from that rock on which Uzziah's life had been wrecked. And so Jotham, we're going to see, is a good king. G. Campbell Morgan mentions three things about him that probably helped him to become a good king. First of all, he reigned during the early period of which Isaiah was exercising his prophetic ministry. We're going to see later as we go through that uh, actually Jotham was, was reigning during the prophetic ministry of Isaiah and Micah and Amos and Hosea. A lot of these guys were ministering in the northern kingdom, but here he had Isaiah with him right there in the southern kingdom. And so... 
And that was probably one of the things that helped him to stay on track is he had someone speaking the word of God into his life. Never, ever underestimate that prophetic ministry that we are blessed with, that he was blessed with. That was one reason. Secondly, something we alluded to earlier, his mother. His mom, um, the daughter of a priest, that's probably why it mentions that she was the daughter of Zadok, was to just highlight the fact that he had a godly mother. And you guys know that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, right? You guys know that the greatest influence on a child is his mom. And so, you know, this guy right here, he had Isaiah, he had a godly mom. And then the third thing was he profited by his father's example, both good and bad, following the good and shunning the evil. And he ended up with that testimony there in verse 2. It's a great testimony that he did was right in God's sight. That's pretty cool, huh? To do what's right in God's sight because God sees everything. And not only did he start well, but he finished well. Here's one thing just to make a, a little note of. He's one of the few people in the Bible that there's nothing negative spoken of about him. Even though we don't have a lot of information you know, it's cool to see that nothing negative about him. And so, um, does that mean that all the people were good since he was good? And the answer is no. Huh? Look again there at verse 2. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord, but still the people acted corruptly. You know, one of the things we find in the Bible and we just find in life is that we have to, each of us, choose who we will serve. We have to choose individually, right? Whether or not we'll serve the Lord. You know, a person might have the best parents and pastors and teachers and leaders and brothers and sisters. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to choose to serve the Lord, right? Joshua 24, 15 is that classic passage when Joshua is there talking to the people and he says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, he says, choose for yourselves. You have to choose. Your brother can't choose for you. Your mommy, your daddy can't choose for you. Your kids, your pastor, your teacher, you have to choose. Are you going to serve the Lord or not? Joshua tells them, hey, if you want to, you can serve the gods that your father served on the other side of the river, the god of the Amorites, it's up to you in whose land you now dwell. But he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, we got to make that choice. Jotham was a good king, but still the people acted corruptly. You know, it's interesting to know that during that time, again, many Bible prophets were prophesying, Isaiah, Hosea, Micah, and Amos, they were all ministering, but still the people were acting corruptly. And so what I wanted to do is kind of unpack a couple of things in our chapter. One of them, just to prevent us, you guys, from, from corruption, you know, to prevent us from that. You know, one of the things that kind of bums me out is Mexico. I, I, I have roots there. 
Um, and you look at Mexico, it's huge. It's huge. It has so much natural resources, so much potential. I believe you have some hard-working people that live in Mexico, and there's so much intelligence and like all these things. So why is it that, that they're not thriving? And the answer is corruption. Right? We see that in a lot of governments. There's just that, there's that corruption. These people acted corruptly. And there's like this ruin, there's this rottenness, there's this element of, man, corruption that we see oftentimes in nations. And then it spills over into individual people who make up that nation. But what this verse teaches is this it's crazy. Um, let me give you a few other translations, because again, remember, it wasn't written in, in English, and it wasn't written in New King James. Okay, One translation puts it this way, the people, however, continued their corrupt practices. So when you're speaking of corruption, you're not speaking of something that someone does one time. You're speaking about something that someone is continuing to do. They're not just acting out on it perhaps one time, they're practicing it. This is where they were. They continued as it was continuous. It was something they were practicing, doing over and over and over again. If it becomes a, a habit, it becomes you. Right? One translation puts it this way. The people were still sinning. Here it says the people acted corruptly. They continued to act corruptly. They, they were sinning. And I think that's good, to be honest with you, just to call it what it is. It's sin, right? It's not just a mishap. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a blunder or a bummer, right? I mean, it's sin. It's not just a slip. It's not just a stumble. It's sin because when you call it sin, then you know what it really is. It's an offense against God. It's a breaking. It's a violation of his, not just his law, his heart. And that's what they were doing. Good king, good influence, good pastor, good parents, good teachers, good leaders, good brothers, good sisters. doesn't even matter. you got to make the choice for him. They, the people, they just continue to act corruptly, right? One version puts it this way. Uh, and, and both of them talk about corruption or corruptly because really, again, that's the heart of this word. In the Hebrew language, it means to spoil or ruin or destroy or, you know, pervert, to corrupt morally and ultimately to corrupt spiritually. And I, and I guess, not to sound like heavy-handed, you guys, but hopefully to really, I, I don't know, um, they say that preservatives are not good for you. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe a, bit of, a little bit of lemon, maybe on your uh, ceviche or something, that's good, I think. Maybe a little bit of salt, I don't know. But in this case, what I'm trying to say is that um, I don't want to go south. I don't want to go bad. I don't want to get rotten. I don't want to be like that, that yogurt that I was eating the other day that when, once I put it in my mouth, I was like, Shelly, help me. <laughs> you know, It was just poison. But you can see, you guys, that uh, and, you know, I read my Bible, and I open my eyes, I look around me, and not everybody who used to come to church is still coming to church. 
Not everybody who used to serve the Lord is still serving the Lord. Not everybody who used to walk with the Lord is walking with the Lord. Not everybody who used to have a fire still has that fire. Because they have, a lot of times, drifted away. They, they, they kind of get entangled with the affairs of this life. And, and I, just, I just, my prayer is that we would, ne- we would not go south. We would not go bad. We would not go rotten or ruined or be corrupted in any carnal way. If we've been walking with the Lord, the longer you've been walking with the Lord, the stronger you should be. That's just the bottom line. If you're not going forward, I think in one sense you're going backwards. And it can happen. It can happen so easily. I mean, here's a, he's a good king. Jotham is a good king. Did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but the people, they still acted corruptly. You know, God is concerned with corruption. If you want to go back to Deuteronomy, let's look at a few passages. Deuteronomy chapter 4. When Moses is repeating the law to the people, in Deuteronomy 4, in, in verse 15, Moses is speaking on behalf of the Lord. He says, Take careful heed to yourselves. You know, and that's all I'm saying. Some of you might be here tonight and you're thinking, Well, that could never happen to me. Then, you know what? You just move to the front of the line. Now you're most vulnerable. He says, take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. That's when you make any, you know, God, any likeness, any person, anything, that's like the Lord, you know. He's saying, take careful heed. That's acting corruptly. We see kind of the same thing in, uh, in the same chapter in verse 25. He says, when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make the carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, God says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. I mean, it's kind of sad the Lord knew they were going to do that. Now, for us, I don't think that's as much our problem, like, you know, explicitly. I don't think you guys are are putting up an image and saying that's the Lord, more than likely. That was the problem of their day. It was a huge problem. They needed that icon. They needed that image. Today, it's different. There are things about our culture today that steal your heart from God. And a lot of times you are not, you are just, we are just not in love with the Lord because the gods of this age have captured our hearts. Oh yeah, you might not put up an image and bow down to it, but you're bowing down in other ways. All I'm saying is that check your heart, man. Are, do you really love the Lord or, or are you two-timing him? Or is he like on the back shelf? You know, because that's corruption. That's acting corruptly. You know, later on in Deuteronomy 9 verse 12, we saw that they had done it. And says in verse 12, <laughs> it's kind of funny, the Lord's talking to Moses. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here. 
For your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. There's that word again, corruptly. They have quickly turned aside. They did it right away from the way which I commanded them. You know, and Moses tries to say, no, Lord, they're your people. God's all, no, you can have them. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but what ended up happening, you guys remember the story? They had taken their gold and they put it into the, in the fire and they said, hey, this is the Lord. They fashioned a calf. What's that all about? You want to know what that was all about? That was about people who couldn't wait on the Lord. Where's Moses at? He's been gone for a long time. 40 days. That's too long. I can't wait on God anymore. Some people, they can't wait on the Lord. It's funny how it works. They end up acting corruptly. You know, and then when you go through the the history of the nation of Israel, uh, their corruption went beyond false images of the Lord. Eventually, it was straight out other gods. You read that in Judges chapter 2, verse 19. It came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved, it says, more corruptly. Because they started serving other gods at that point. So now it wasn't just a golden calf that they said was the Lord. Now it's just straight out, I'm not even serving the Lord. They acted more corruptly. And then later on, you fast forward and Nehemiah talks about what happened with the people It went from just acting corruptly and more corruptly to very corruptly in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 7. You see? And you guys, you know, you got to know that that this is what brings God's judgment. One other passage that I would like you to turn to is in Genesis chapter 6. Because this, I don't know if you knew about this type of corruption. It's a big issue in the Bible. And when God judged the earth with the flood, it was because of this. It was because of corruption. It says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And, you know, it can still happen today. You know, we know God's judgment is coming. And I know I think that when we look out in the world that we see the corruption, you know, so clearly. And, of course, we want people to get saved. I pray they would come out of that lifestyle. But right now I'm more concerned with the church. Right now I'm more concerned with me. How do I walk in my house? How am I interacting with my spouse and my children and and my Lord and my prayer life? What's the Holy Spirit been saying to me? Things that need to change in my life. And a lot of times I think there can be an inclination just to say, so what? To the Holy Spirit? All I'm saying, you guys, let's be really careful that we stay sold out and surrendered, completely committed, not carnal, not corrupt. I just pray that we would have a passion and that we would really love the Lord, really love Him, you know? I mean, not, not corruption, right? The dictionary defines corruption as a state of decay, rotten or putrid, and it actually means to change for the worse, And that can happen if we're not careful. See, Jotham was a good king. 
But the people weren't good citizens. Notice some of the things that he did. Back in Second Chronicles 27, in verse 3, it says, He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah. In the forests, he built fortresses and towers. You know how we're, we're getting ready to paint? That's a pretty good thing, believe it or not, to paint because it means that we care about the house of the Lord. And so here we see he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. That's actually a commendable thing. Uh, David Guzik said this was always a positive sign in Judah when kings and leaders were concerned about the house of the Lord. It reflected a measure of spiritual revival. And so it's kind of cool that it starts there and then it continues on. He moved on and he built the wall of Ophel which would fortify their defenses. You know, and for us, I think it's important to have some, you know, some defense in our life, in our house. I mean, I wonder, you know, because God sees things differently. You know, I mean, you might have a security system, you might have wrought iron gates, and you might have like, I don't know, what's the meanest dog now? It used to be pit bull. It used to be Doberman Pinscher when I was younger, but I don't think it is anymore. <laughs> and does that mean, you know, well, you might be you might be physically protected, but you know what? You might not be spiritually fortified because you're not in prayer. You just don't pray. You're not in the Word. You're not walking in obedience, and the devil is having a field day with your family. These are, these are symbolic. When we're talking about fortifying things, we're talking about seeking the Lord. We're talking about this because war is real. War is real. You guys know that, right? We're in a war. 2 Timothy 2 says you're soldiers, whether you like it or not. Ephesians 6 says we're in a war, Right? And so we need to fortify. It's beautiful. One day we're going to go to Israel. I was hoping to go next year. But I started recycling and it hasn't happened yet. But I I would love... How many of you here have gone to Israel? Just out of curiosity. All right, you guys, you should sit in the front row right here. (laughs) That's right, my wife too. Big smile on her face. Anyways, uh, we have some pictures of Ophel, where Ophel was... You know, it's the area known as Ophel. It can be seen, um, and you'll notice there's this, uh, we have one, it's a model of Jerusalem. I think we have it. And anyways, it's in between David's city and Mount Moriah, where the Temple Mount is. And we have the, the place of Ophel. There's a, a kind of a, a land view that we also have, and uh, you can kind of see the visual there. So you have Jerusalem there, the city, and then he would go a little bit farther right there, and he started fortifying, building the wall right there, building elements of protection. When Nehemiah saw the wall wasn't built, he just wept. He fasted and he prayed, and God helped him in 52 days to rebuild the wall. Maybe you need to rebuild the wall at your house. God will give you a mind and a heart to work, right? We even have a modern-day visual of this over and the third picture we have, and that one right there is kind of cool because it's actually looking from the uh, Mount, Temple Mount, looking towards that area where we see Jotham built the wall. Beautiful, beautiful picture, you guys. I encourage you guys to build 
that spiritual wall. This is symbolic. Things were going good in Israel. Even in verse 5, it says, He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third years also. And so, this is victory. This is victory. You know, the Ammonites who were descendants of Lot, in, in, the, in the initial phase, they were we, relatively, because they, you know, descendants of Lot, who was a nephew of Abraham, relatively friendly. But then what happened was the Ammonites teamed up with the Moabites and they hired Balaam to curse the Israelites. So from that point forward, God said, you know what? They're banished. And what would you find when you study history is there was always the battle with the Ammonites. And when, when God's people were strong, like for example, uh, portions of the, the reign of Saul, all the reign of David, David was actually friends with him for a while, but then when they uh, didn't like his friendship, then he conquered them. Uh, they were uh, under the, the reign of Solomon, but then it was his back and forth fighting. And, and I think that, that when I think about it for my own life, I think about my own life and I think about areas of my life that the devil, that the demons, that the spiritual warfare is targeting. And, and, and we are, I'm not winning. Some of you here, you're just, maybe you're experiencing that. You know, failure, sin, hitting your wall, your head against the wall. You're down on the ground. And you shouldn't be. I mean, do you know who you are in the Lord? You're more than conquerors. You're a godly man, a godly woman. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to, to win those battles. You don't have to be afraid. Why are you afraid? Perfect love casts out all fear. And sometimes it's like the Ammonites are, 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 are whipping us. Next time we're studying this, we're going to see this is a real, real terrible section. The next king is a bad king, King Ahaz. And you know who the, uh, the god of the Ammonites was? Molech. And what ends up happening? This king of Judah ends up sacrificing the children on the god of Molech. It's the equivalent of modern-day abortion. And the, the demon, the spirit, the devil, he beat him. Right here, it's so cool to see Jotham. He's walking in victory. I mean, these guys are paying him so much silver. I mean, just a ton of silver and Wheaties and all that kind of stuff, man. I mean, they were just experiencing a, a great victory. And, 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 and verse 6 is why. And this is one other verse I really wanted to focus on. It says in verse 6, So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. I mean, this guy right here, Jotham, he became mighty, strong, able to endure temptation, able to lead the nation. He became mighty. Now, I know it sounds kind of weird, but what if you, 
I mean, just, can I put your name there? You know, put your name there. I don't know. Is there is any Freds here? Probably not, so we'll use that. And Fred became mighty. Don't think of Fred Flintstone. Just think of another Fred, okay? So, I don't know. John became mighty. You know, Jeanette became mighty. You know, you put your name there. It's okay. You can become mighty. That's not unbiblical. Jotham became mighty. Can that happen to your life? Can that happen to your life? Absolutely. It can. You know, the word right there for for might, it means to strengthen oneself in order to withstand. It's an interesting definition because right, right away, to strengthen oneself in order to withstand... Right away, I think of Ephesians chapter 6, right? Um, Ephesians 6, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you if you want to. It's in Ephesians 6, verse 10. And you guys remember the passage? It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. His might, right? Mighty. And then it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil, the way that Satan is strategizing to ruin your life. You put on that armor, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Have we forgotten that it's a spiritual battle against unseen forces? Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. There's that word. Withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Are you withstanding? That's the question. Are you walking in your strength? I mean, you may be pretty pretty strong and I don't know you got a good upbringing you have a nice character you were you know trained well by your parents and that can get you pretty far but there are demons there are strategies there are temptations there are things that you that will just plow right through you make you distracted and what we need is really we really need you know the the Lord man we need to to be strong we need to be strong in his might. It's very simple. The enemy is trying to take us down. He doesn't want us to stand. And even though we may have started strong, the enemy wants to ruin us and make us rotten and rot, rot go, go sour, go bad, carnal, corrupt. He's trying to take us down, and so we need God's strength in order to stand and withstand. The word withstand it really means resist. And so at the end of the day, let me just say this. We all have a choice. You can resist the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. You can resist the truth, the Bible says. Or you can resist the devil, the Bible says. And when you resist the devil, you withstand him. And man, God does the great work in your life. Let me ask you guys a question. What happens when you resist the devil? What happens? Anybody know? 
who flees. Who said that? Good job. He flees. I mean, think about that. He runs away. And so he comes in and he tempts you. And, you know, you're like, okay, you're like, you're like dancing with him. Okay, and he tells you to do this. And you, you're right there doing that. And you're not resisting him. And, man, he's just everything that he, he's pulling strings. And next thing you know, I mean, you're resisting him. And what happens to happening? The same thing that happened with Jesus. He said, you know, away with you. For it is written. And when I have the devil split. See, that's what we need. The Bible says in James 4, verse 7, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How did Jotham do this? Back in Second Chronicles 27. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. And so you want to become mighty? Anyone here? You're like, Mighty Mouse would be fine. <laughs> mighty Mouse is better than me. Let me tell you that right now, man. But I want to become mighty. How did he become mighty? It says because this is why he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. The word prepared right there is an interesting word in the Hebrew language. It means uh, to set up. It means to arrange. It means to arrange. Believe it or not, when I used to work produce, I used to arrange flowers. I remember those days, you know, and you got to put them like in the right spot, right? And I, I don't know if I did a good job or not, but um, I tried, right? And so, you know, we got to kind of do that with our, with our, with our ways. We kind of got to do that with our days. We have to arrange it just right according to the will of the Lord, right? The word ways right here, it speaks of a road, a journey, a manner, a direction. And right there he says he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. And, and basically, in a nutshell, is he did it in God's presence. Okay, Lord, what should I do today? Lord, what should I do? Here's my schedule. Here's my life. Here's my journey. Here's everything about me. And right there, him and the Lord, they made their decisions. You know, I like Mondays in my life because I get to go to Starbucks with my wife. And we get to sit down and look at our calendar. And I'm like, okay, babe, what do you think? Man, let's go to Hawaii. No, not Hawaii. All right, I'm just joking. You know, we'll have our little schedule. I love it. I love it. Sitting down with her and making those types of calls. And what are you going to do? You give Aaron a ride. No, I'm not going to give him a ride. You give him a ride. We'll make him get his I don't know. I'm just joking. I'm just, I won't say anything, but forgive me, Lord. But anyways, you know, you're, you're, and that's how it is kind of with the Lord. I mean, in, you sit down with him. And in his presence, you prepare, you prepare your ways. And as you do that, and stop doing your own thing, as you do that, it's so cool. You, I think you, you'll become mighty. That's what happened with Jotham. And so he finishes life in verse 7. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways. Indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So Jotham rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. You know, he didn't live a long life. 
But Warren Wiersbe said this, Jotham lived a brief life and had a short reign, but he was faithful to the Lord. It is not how long we live that counts, but how we live. And what ends up happening at the end of the day is this guy finished well. You know, we all have to make that choice individually. Um, Jotham was good. The people were bad. Ahaz's son, we're going to see next time, was a terrible king, unfortunately. Really, really bad. And so how can we, how can we keep ourselves from going bad, going corrupt? What we need, you guys, is we need that, that, that power of the Holy Spirit. We, I think at the end of the day, and I just say it this way, we need Jesus. Remember his name? What does his name mean? Does anybody remember? What does Jotham's name mean? Jehovah is perfect. perfect. Good job. You guys are doing well tonight, man. It wasn't that Jotham was perfect, right? It was that the Lord is perfect. And what ends up happening is when you give your life to Christ, we're talking just full on, Lord, I transfer ownership of my life to you. Everything that what ends up happening is that that perfection, uh, that you know, righteousness, that life, it gets imputed to your account, and that's what happened with Jonathan. He's an example for us. If God can do it for him, can God do that for you? Absolutely. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.